Section 20 of The Mystery of the Ocean Star. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert Hoffman. The Mystery of the Ocean Star by W. Clark Russell. Section 20. Can these dry bones live? Well, sir said the old captain to me a retired shipmaster with the gaze of a vulture under the apparently sleepy lid and a face full of lines and discoloration like the wrinkling of currents in the glassy swaths of a dead calm on some dingy spread of water off the west african coast i had always been a bit superstitious up to then but i own that that job cured me but it made me see also that it isn't reasonable to be too contemptuous of one's fellow-creatures who believe in spirits and manifestations of which there is no organ sense or quality in the human body to take notice of saving credulity it comes to this sir human nature never gets beyond a certain pass we sail to that point and then the wind shifts and we drop astern from time to time it is put into us to think foolishly that the thoughtful amongst us may understand how little ahead of old folks we are spite all of our discoveries i have watched this fad of ghosts amongst us of late the growth of societies which aim to enlarge men's knowledge of what doesn't exist and it takes me back to the days when i was a youngin when there were still witches in the country and old women were ducked and drowned for sailing athwart the moonlight on broomsticks we were a bit coarser then in our superstitions than now made our ghost hags instead of spirits of beauty fled from candles and turnips and reckoned that when old boogie wanted us he arrived down the chimney <laughs> but the quality remains the same it is only brightened in these times polished up and made to look in other ways finer now however to give you my yarn i was a master of a ship of eight hundred tons we were loaded with a general cargo bound to the east indies it is many years ago when ships companies were numerous partly through the compulsion of navigation laws and partly because owners wanted their ships to keep afloat partly because you wouldn't have got sailors to ship if there had not been hands to do the work and my complement numbered between forty and forty-five men in a crowd of this kind one doesn't take particular notice when the crew are few you come to know your jims and joes and toms as you come to know your dogs at home or as a man who is worth only a few shillings is not only conscious of what he has in his pocket but can tell you the character of the coins also we were without passengers simply a well-manned cargo vessel all of the olden time though a handsome boat in our way frigate built painted ports wide channels great black tops the yards square enough to serve a line of battleship and the royals when mastheaded sitting close against the trucks the properest topping is to my taste to the fabric of a far-rigged ship we had been out a fortnight when in the afternoon there came a sudden squall the fore and mizen topgallant sails were clewed up with a hand standing by at the main topgallant halyards i noticed some figures in the fore-rigging going aloft to roll up the sail there and on a sudden there was a commotion 
a running of men forward, and a gathering of them into a heap around something. I told the mate to go and see what was the matter. He returned with the news that a man in the act of going aloft had fallen dead on the deck of the rail. We were without a doctor, and all hands looked to me in a case of this kind. I walked to where the man lay, and found him to be an able seaman, an old yellow-haired man, whose face I had before taken notice of for the ghastly complexion of it, a sort of dusky, parchment-like hue, the color of a sailor's duff that's been too long in the coppers. The lids were half-closed, nothing but the white showing, the lips set hard in a sort of half-grin, without froth, and the arms outstretched in the posture of a crucified person. Short of a skeleton, to my notion, one ought never to be able to say cocksurely, pointing to a body, this is death. The fellow might be in a faint, or a fit, or a cataleptic. His body in death's straitjacket, and the mind within all alive, and wondering what the deuce has gone wrong outside. I ordered him to be carried to his bunk and rubbed, and to be treated as if he was to be brought to, and if that failed, then to be stowed away out of the sight of the men, but not to be stitched up for a bit, so that if there was any spark of life in him, it might have a chance. Fact is, I wanted to make sure he was a dead man before he was tossed overboard. A very proper feeling in me, no doubt, though there was a touch of morbidity in it, too, for... To tell the truth, the one quiet horror of my life in those days was the thought of being buried alive, and what I feared for myself I was not the sort of man to put upon another. Well, after two days we were all agreed that he was dead, so I gave orders for him to be stitched up and brought to the gangway, and next morning after breakfast we held the service. It was always my desire that matters of this kind should be carried out with proper solemnity. I considered it worked as a wholesome influence amongst the sailors, who were made to understand that a dead seaman on the ocean was not to be treated as if he were a dead pauper out of a workhouse, that a show of respect and regret, at all events, should go to his funeral, since a shipmate is a shipmate the wide world over. The body, stitched in its hammock, with a sinker stowed away in its clues, was placed among the grating and covered with the ensign. Then the grating was lifted up by four men and brought to the rail, one end of it resting there, and the other end supported by two men who stood ready to whip off the ensign and let the body slide when the time should come for so doing. All hands gathered around, washed and clean. It was a quiet morning, a light breeze of wind blowing. The ship under all plain sail, everything silent aloft, the deck heaving slightly to the small beam sea. I came out of the cabin with my prayer book in hand and started to read, the men bearing their heads, with the grinding here and there of a jaw upon a hunk of tobacco standing high in the cheekbone, and much wistful and inquisitive peering at poor Jack's outline by bleared eyes by the gales of the wind into which they had stared. I was proceeding, reading with great emphasis and solemnity, when there rose from under the ensign a short, muffled, groaning sort of a cry of, For God's sakes, cut me adrift, mates. I'm suffocating. The prayer book fell from my hand. The two fellows who were holding the grating let go of it and shot forward. 
whereupon off rolled the body under the deck amongst the feet of the sailors who letting fly a volley of curses in their alarm bolted in all directions some of them even jumped into the rigging had a bombshell exploded amongst us the clearance effected could not have been more complete the mates had run away as well as the seamen and the cowardice of all hands put temper enough into me to rally my nerves quick i bawled cut the poor wretch adrift or he'll be suffocated in good earnest and it will be a worse murder done than had we buried him on this the chief mate and some others came to the body shouldering one another and ripped open the hammock well dead or alive twould have been better to give him the thing its last toss than have witnessed such a sight you see it was warmish weather and the body besides had been but i'll say no more on that only that such an apparition rising before the stoutest army that ever took the field would have sent it flying without waiting for the buglers to sound but he'd called out that he was suffocating and we looked to see him move all hands coming up in bunches at a time till there we were all of a heaving in a squirming muddle with this horror in the midst of us and the men squirting juice in all directions through sheer loathing if that man ain't dead said the boatswain my eyes ain't mates did he wriggle at all said i addressing one of the fellows who held the grating before you let go and run away the man answered he hadn't noticed any movement he spoke anyway said the mate well pickle my eyes for onions if there ever was a rummier start than this cried the carpenter stooping to look close at the man and then recoiling with a heave of the breast and a long wipe of his mouth down the length of his hairy arm i ordered the body to be carried to a cabin and put the second mate along with a seaman to watch it but their report to me was that if the fellow was alive he gave no signs of it but that on the contrary he was imitating death so incomparably as to oblige them to beg me to allow some others to relieve them as they did not feel strong enough to go on I then viewed the body myself and no longer having a doubt gave orders that it should be stitched up afresh and once again brought to the gangway it was now eight bells in the afternoon of course it was right that this old jack should be buried decently and i resolved to go through with the funeral service but i let it be known that there was no obligation upon the men to attend outside the few who were needed to do the work nevertheless all hands turned up as before well i started to read as i had in the morning but at the very moment of my pronouncing the same words i was delivering when the interruption happened there came a most audible but half choking and half smothered groan or grunt of oh lord they mean to drown me after all from under the ensign the fellow that held the right corner of the grating let go and went backing amongst the mates with a cry of dismay but the other man bawling out with a face darkened by passion you old villain how many barrels do ye expect and be dead you tilted the grating and away flashed the hammock overboard we all stood on looking like idiots for my part captain as i was i hadn't a word to say for the moment in fact i was thunderstruck the groan of the corpse was scarce off the ear before the body was gone and yet you couldn't think of us as having drowned him either 
for nothing could have seemed deader than did this old jack when i took my last view of him however no purpose could be served by making a fuss it was one of those breaches of discipline that defy your cool reason though you may handle them as you will in a passion besides a moment or two reflection coupled with a look round satisfied me that the men would be easier in their minds for being quit of the body and so telling the mate to send the hands forward i went to my cabin but more mystified under a lively consternation of mind in short than it would suit me to admit to everybody it was idle to talk of tricks i might have reconciled myself to some notion of that kind had i made one or two or three spectators but there had been forty or fifty of us all lumped together and the reality of the thing came out in the sincerity of the fright for the morning panic was much greater than i have put it whilst the terror in the afternoon might have shown us as wild had the fellows at the grating let fall the body again amongst the men well at ten o'clock that night i left the deck to lie down all was quiet the influence of the day's work was expressed in the manner of the men who had moved and talked very soberly with subdued gestures and tones and in the dog watches i had noticed them hanging together in knots conversing like people fresh from an execution i was aroused horn in my sleep by the second mate who had charge of the deck there's the whole watch below sir come aft to complain that they can't get any rest what's the matter said i starting up why they say they can hear old jack's voice calling to them down in the forepeak old jack's voice i cried and with that i followed him on deck where sure enough i found all hands massed together on the quarter-deck what's the matter men i called out leaning over the rail at the break of the poop to speak to them the carpenter spoke up there's old jack hailing us in the forepeak sir nonsense man smite me sir if it ain't the bloomin truth not only hailing but a cussing us for having drowned him but you know that that can't be said i he's leagues astern and fathoms deep a voice answered he's cussing us all the same he swears he'll haunt us all overboard i told the second mate to go forward and report if he could hear anything of this strange voice a shadowy group of men went with him indeed i doubt if he would have had heart to drop into the forecastle alone presently he returned coming aft with a run and speaking with a broken breath it's true sir he gasped if it isn't old jack it's the devil i heard him say i'll punish y'all for drowning me head as you will his old jack is at the helium now and so stand by but good thunder cried i how is a man's voice going to sound in the forecastle out of the forepeak answer me that you fool well come forwards and hear it yourself sir he exclaimed sullenly i instantly assented and walked forward followed by all hands and not without a beating heart i admit but with a good air of carelessness upon me i stepped into the forecastle it was a topgallant forecastle entered by doors abreast of the windlass ends a slush lamp swung under the beam and the light was very weak i entered with the second mate and stood listening for some minutes nothing sounded but the hard breathing of the seamen who filled the doorway squeezing the foremost in though these pressed back like a wall 
making such a jam as might account for louder snorings. Queer creakings and groanings arose out of the slightly swaying hall into the silence, with the faint sound of the bow wave softly washing from the cutwater. Then, on a sudden, I heard a dim, hoarse voice, weakened as it were by the thickness of the deck between, with a note of rage in it, as though the fellow could barely articulate from his teeth being fixed, exclaim, "'Curse the ship,' I says. "'Curse all hands in her,' says I. "'For I'm a murdered man, and I'll haunt ye all.' "'There, sir,' cried the second mate, backing to the men, "'whose breathing was now stormy with emotion. "'Scarce was this said when one of the seamen, "'who had apparently been forced forwards by the pressure of the others, "'was run almost up to me by the long arm of the chief mate.' who, unperceived by me, had worked his way into the crowd to learn what was going on. This mate stood over six feet high, and was a giant in strength, and the head of the fellow, whom his shoulder of mutton fist grasped by the scruff of the neck, was on a level with his chin. "'Here's the ghost, sir,' said he. The sailors now came bundling in a swarm. "'This is the ghost,' repeated the mate." "'giving the fellow a shake which threatened to throw his head off his neck. "'Tis deuce clever, my lad, but it's a joke that wants sea-room. "'Own to it, own to it,' he cried, "'before I screw your neck off.' "'I own to it,' said the man. "'Own to what?' I asked. "'Why, sir,' answered the mate, "'he has the trick of throwing his voice, "'and wonderfully well he does it, too. "'I had my eye on him this afternoon and suspected him,' I'm sure of it now, for he didn't know I stood close behind him. Some of the men muttered, I perceive that they looked upon this as a conspiracy between me and the mate to allay their fears, and clearly seeing that it must be as the mate said, and heartily despising myself for the alarm I had felt during the day, I immediately formed a resolution. Your name's Andover, said I to the man. Yes, sir, he answered. "'You confess that it was you who made old Jack talk on the grating and down here?' "'I do, sir,' he answered with a writhe, for the shoulder of mutton clung to him as a vice. "'Prove it to the men,' said I, "'and I'll forgive you. "'You can let go of him, Mr. Moore.' The man coughed. A moment after, we heard old Jack cursing us all on the forepeak. The deception was exquisite.' In sober truth, my admiration of the skill of the fellow would have been altogether too great to suffer me to punish him, even if I had not promised him forgiveness. A few further examples of his genius sufficed to reassure the sailors, and I went aft, leaving them to deal with him as they chose. However, he managed to make his peace by entertaining them with his art as a ventriloquist. Indeed, after the first spasm of temper... They were too well pleased to believe that old Jack was really dead and gone, and too much astonished by Andover's cleverness to feel much resentment. I often had this man in the cabin afterwards to amuse me. He had the face of a born comedian, and I strongly advised him to start as a ventriloquist ashore, where, I don't doubt, under proper training, he might have proved a fortune for himself or for an employer. But, unhappily, he got into some scrape at our first port of call, and I had to leave him behind me. And then, long afterwards, I inquired after him, 
I gathered that he had taken to drink and died in a hospital. Yet I recall him with gratitude, for he quite cured me of my superstitions. End of section 20. Recording by Robert Hoffman.